the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now, eight minutes past ten o'clock. You heard that correctly. Always right. On AM fourteen twenty, the answer. It's Friday, the seventh morning, the first month of the year of our Lord twenty twenty two. Thanks again to uh, former congressman, current candidate for Ohio's governor uh, governor's uh, office, uh, Jim Renacci. Coming up, uh, former Ohio State representative at ten thirty five, Christina Hagen will be joining us with commentary on some of the issues of the day. Um. By the way, that little clip there, little little uh, open uh, with President Reagan, and we have so many great, great uh, clips that we use in our opens now of President Reagan. Not too far off what he said uh, back in 1981 about what's going on right now. Um, seriously, we are we are on a precipice here. We're going to take a step, and we're going to ask our kids to take a step toward the defense of our free republic. Or we are going to watch them step off of a cliff. We're going to watch them step into a thousand years of darkness. And I think it is that serious when I talk about the Supreme Court case that is being heard today. Biden's COVID-19 mandate through OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, their mandate for every company with 100 employers or more to make sure that every employee uh, um, is, uh, is vaccinated is is that serious? Because this this isn't just about a COVID nineteen shot. And again, we got to call them shots. I call them profit shots. They're not actual vaccines because they do not inoculate. They do not prevent infection from that which they are uh, are supposed to. This is about about much more than that. As Kevin uh, Roberts, the president of the Heritage Foundation, one of the plaintiffs in this case, said. The outcome of this case will have consequences far beyond a mandate over the COVID vaccine. If we lose and the government wins the right to demand that we take an experimental toxin into our bodies or lose our jobs, we lose everything. If they can make us give up our own bodily autonomy and our own medical liberty, we have no liberties left. If they can do that to us, they can do anything to us. Government power will be unchecked. That's what's on the table today. That's how important today's events are at the Supreme Court. So I hope you understand that, and I hope you follow it very, very closely. And I'll let you talk about it as soon as I can. But right now, I want to get to our next guest on the program. I read this article uh, earlier this week. said, got to talk to this particular Ohio State representative that I've never spoken with, I don't believe, because um, this is long overdue. The teacher transparency bill a teacher transparency bill that would require all Ohio teachers to post online in a conspicuous manner their syllabi, 
all of their lesson plans, all of their teaching materials. You want to know whether or not critical race theory is being taught in your schools? Do you want to know whether or not the trans agenda is being pushed on your children and whether children are being encouraged, being encouraged to do and say things that they may not agree with, all because of the political correctness of the woke mob that is in, invading classrooms all across this country? Let's find out what's going on in those classrooms. The teacher transparency bill has been sponsored by Representative Bob Hillier, or Brett, I beg your pardon, uh, Mr. Hillier, Brett Hillier from uh, Urexville. He joins us now to talk about it on AM 1420, The Answer. Thank you so much for the time, Mr. Representative. How are you? Oh, fine, sir. Thank you for having me. Please just call me Brett. I, I will do that. Thank you. I will not call you Bob. You can call me Bob, though. That'll work out just fine. Uh, okay, so let's uh, let's uh, talk about the uh, the genesis of this. This is a bill that I said is long overdue. It is something that I think every state should consider. We need to find out what our teachers are teaching our kids. Tell me why you decided to bring this legislation forth. Well, I think ultimately, Bob, it's about uh, empowering parents and giving them the information that they've been asking for. I don't think it's been a secret that over the last year, some of these school board races and school board meetings have become more and more heated. And I think that, you know, transparency is always a good thing, right? We live in 2022. You can get all kinds of information at your fingertips. I can go to your station's website and see who's running ads on your, on your show, political ads, who's paying for them, who's booked them. Um, you know, why not put the texts and materials that are going to be used online, the learning objectives and the course syllabus online for parents to see so that they can make choices with their children that ultimately are for, for their best, uh, their best interests. You know, you pointed out, um, Brett, um, not just the fact that uh, the school board meetings have become more contentious. Um, school board makeups have been altered dr- dramatically in a lot of districts because of that, because people were kind of, um, you know, asleep at the wheel, if you will. They didn't know what was going on in their schools. And now that they found out, and they found out that boards were signing off on uh, certain types of instruction and certain types of materials being used and, and so forth, um, they, 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 you know, they met the challenge. And they booted some of those school board members in a lot of districts and replaced them with people who want to make sure that kids are being educated, not indoctrinated. So the fact that, you know, the, the makeup of school boards across this state have changed to a large degree – I would think that would, you know, generate some support for this bill, would you not? Oh, I think so as well. And and just to be clear to your listeners, this is not a conservative attack on public education. The bill equally applies to charter schools and uh, private schools. What it's truly about is parental choice, right? You want to see what the curriculum is across the various English offerings at your school and, you know, in your listeners' uh, school districts. Or maybe they want to take a, an alternative path and look at a charter school or a private school. You, you know, teachers are professionals. They don't wake up in the morning and change their, their lesson plans, right? They follow curriculum that's kind of guided by the state. All we're asking for is just put it online, let parents see it, empower them with that information, and, and let parents be part of their kids' education, right? Um, it's about transparency. Government isn't your co-parent. 
That's that's well said. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not just even a co-parent situation. You've heard, you know, many on the left uh, stating that, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to make this purely partisan and political, but it is, I think. Cause it's well, but keep in mind, the bill is bipartisan. I understand, and I'm way, glad to hear that. Some Democrat support. Yeah, that's great news. That's great news, Brad Hillier. I, I really am glad to hear that. But but speaking, you know, generally, the, the left has been the side that has said, you know what, parents, it's none of your business. Leave educating your kids to the education professionals. They're the ones who are, who are trained in this. They're the ones who have the degrees in this. Uh, it's not your business. We'll take care of this, which to me is just shocking and alarming, particularly when you look at the fact that, uh, you know, that national school, the National uh, School Board Association uh, sent that letter to the Department of Justice saying, hey, these parents are out of control. Um, you need to turn the FBI loose on them, treat them like domestic terrorists. Parents who want to be a part of their kids' education are not domestic terrorists. Parents who want to be a part of their education, the education of their kids, are the best type of parents that there are. Oh, you're absolutely right, and that leads to a student-centered learning environment where not only are the professionals at the school helping uh, with the, the, the building blocks of education, but when they come home, by putting this information online, you're allowing parents the ability to you know, maybe get ahead of some of this stuff, uh, relearn things. I don't know about you, but uh, aside from maybe some basic algebra and some geometry, uh, when, my, when my son is older, I'm going to have to do some brushing up uh, to help him, and if he's struggling with his assignments, to make sure he's you know best uh, in the best place to succeed. So, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, this encourages parents to get involved. Uh, you know, I think I think some teachers would agree with you, some of your listeners, that for the last several decades, it seems that some parents are willing to just drop their children off at school, and and it becomes the the teacher and the school's problem. This is about all parties involved and encouraging all parties to get involved and it's good for everybody um that uh that is such an important part of all of this we're talking with state representative brett hillier uh from urixville who's got uh, some legislation that you point out is bipartisan which is a teacher transparency bill getting what the kids are being taught online so that parents can see what the lessons are parents can see what the articles the videos the textbooks that are being used and so forth so that they can you know again be a part of their kids education you said it is bipartisan how many democrats do you have on board we have a Democrat on board. Okay, you have one Democrat. How many? How many co-sponsors total? I believe we have ten or twelve. Okay, so where is this in the process right now? Has it been assigned to a committee yet? It is not, sir. The bill number is House Bill Five Twenty Nine, and it was introduced earlier this week. Okay, five twenty nine. So it was just introduced. Do you anticipate? I don't know if you've talked with leadership uh, about a committee assignment and and how quickly this thing might be moved through. Do you have any thoughts on that or? Any info? I don't, sir. We are uh, going back to work next week uh, with committee hearings and and meetings. So I'd imagine it would be getting a first hearing uh, in short order. And uh, we can make the case as to why we think that transparency is a good thing. Have you received any pushback? Anybody who said, no, it's it's nobody else's business what we're teaching? Um. I've received, uh, obviously, there's going to be pushback in this. I think some people look at this as, as putting more burden on teachers. However, uh, that is not the goal. Uh, if anything, I suspect this might create more burden from some administrators because teachers are already doing this. Again, they're not, they're not waking up and deciding to switch out the great Gatsby for, you know, some other text, right? 
Um, and in the year 2022, if what we're asking is you to post a, a PDF with a listing of the the syllabus and and the uh, text that will be used and articles and information, just put it online. And I think that will that will make a lot of parents a lot more comfortable, happier, and ultimately lead to more student success. Um, but the pushback has largely been about concerns of micromanagement or uh, extra work, and we're not really trying to create any additional extra work, and we'll leave this between parents, educators, and administrators. Yeah, and that seems like the reasonable thing to do, and I understand they don't want to have to do all of this extra stuff, but if they've got to write it down anyway for the purposes of giving it to the administration, I know when I taught, I used to be a teacher in another life uh, back in 19, from 1990 to 1996. Um, you know, all of our lesson plans had to be signed off on by administrators anyway. They had to be turned into principals and assistant principals for review and so on and so forth. Pretty standard practice, as I understand it. So if you've got to write it down, then type it up and, and push send and post it on your you know on your your district's webpage it shouldn't be that much extra work to to let the parents know well, what we're and doing I would and even say that doing. if if they've already to your point sir if they've already put it on paper uh, I wouldn't even require it be typed um you know, okay, scan yeah, scan it. Scan. There you go, scan it. You're right. Well said. I was just assuming nobody writes anything anymore. Uh, we type everything that we that we do, and probably including lesson plans. But anyway, yeah, get it get it on on board. Are you um, specifically concerned, Brett Hillier, with any you know any particular uh, types of um, lesson planning? And uh, you know, again, I'll I'll just use the only word I can think of for it: indoctrination. I just talked to Jim Renacci who wants to be the governor, and uh, he is pointing out that Mike DeWine has uh, not been very active or proactive the way some other governors have in banning the teaching of things like critical race theory to our students, uh, which, of course, is you know almost, almost everybody agrees is very, very destructive and very divisive. Um, is any of that kind of behind the movement toward teacher transparency here, or is it just a general overall uh, movement toward transparency for the sake of parents. I, I think it's it's just an overall move towards transparency and education in general. Because um, you know, I think you have great teachers uh, up and down the the scale, um, and I think that in some cases, if a parent has a problem with some with some material, uh, that if they at least know about it ahead of time, they can make it a more informed decision. They can sit down and discuss the issue with the educator or the administrator and, you know, avoid some of these conflicts that we see. Uh, again, this is, this is not, uh, although it, you know, may appear partisan, certainly isn't. I think it's common sense and, and good for students and parents and teachers alike. We are talking with Brett Hillier. He's an Ohio State representative from Uricksville, and he is, uh, he's got legislation. Uh, they go back into session. When is it? Is it on Monday? Uh, next week, uh, the various committees will start to meet. So I okay, imagine so rules and reference up. will refer it at that point. All right, so it's coming up quickly, the teacher transparency bill, something that I hope gets a lot of support. I hope it gets more bipartisan support. It would be great if uh, both parties could agree on this, that our ki- our parents rather uh, have a right to see what their kids are being taught so that they can, even if it's for the only purposes of supporting the kids and supporting uh, uh, their understanding of the material by helping them go over their homework. If the parents know what's being taught, if the parents know what the lessons are, they can do their own work, do their own homework, call 
call up, pull up some of their own old notes, even if it's to help their kids make sure that they understand it. There's nothing that could, I think could be, uh, that would be a negative, I think, aspect of passing a bill like this. I think the only outcome Absolutely. could be positive. So I hope you get more support from Democrats as well. Brett Hillier, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate having you on the program. Thank you, sir. Bye now. Have a great day. Don't call me sir. It's making me very uncomfortable. 1023. This is Always Right on AM 1420 The Answer. This is Always Right on AM 1420 The Answer. Helping you understand the commander-in-chief. In in Libya, we should be opening up the... the, the, the Always right with Bob France. I shouldn't be starting off and negotiating in public here, but let me say it this way. On AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1026. I want to hit something else here real quick before we... uh, Get to the bottom of the hour, and then after that, we're going to talk to Christina Hagen, former Ohio State rep, about a host of things. Last night on Tucker Carlson, Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, was on because Ted Cruz, day before, had said something that was almost unimaginable. As he was discussing the anniversary of January 6th, he talked about the violence that was committed, and there was violence and vandalism committed that day. I called for the arrest of those who did those things as well. I mean, I think anybody on both sides who is fair said we don't support rioting no matter who does it. But Ted Cruz went a little farther than that. In his description of what happened, he described the, ter- the, uh, uh, the attack on uh, the Capitol as being done by domestic terrorists. That did not sit well with a lot of people, including me. Big, big problem with that. And I'm a huge Ted Cruz supporter because he is an all pro-conservative who has won a lot of battles for us and will continue to. But we were we had a big problem with that. So did Tucker Carlson, who called him out on his program two nights ago. So last night, Ted Cruz came on with Tucker Carlson to try to explain. Uh, didn't go well. Because Tucker Carlson was on him like a pit bull on a soup bone. Listen. It caused a lot of people to misunderstand what I meant. Let me tell you what, what I meant to say. What I was referring to are, are the limited number of people who engaged in violent attacks against police officers. Now, I think you and I both agree that if you assault a police officer, you should go to jail. That's who I was talking about. And the reason the phrasing was sloppy is I have talked dozens, if not hundreds of times. I've drawn a distinction. I wasn't saying that the thousands of peaceful protesters supporting Donald Trump are somehow terrorists. I wasn't saying the millions of, of, of patriots across the country supporting President Trump are terrorists. And that's what a lot of people have misunderstood well, that well, comment. Wait a I second, focused, but even your yeah. way, but hold on, what you just said doesn't make sense. So if somebody assaults a cop, he should be charged and go to jail. I couldn't agree more. We have said that for years. But that person's still not a terrorist. How many people have been charged with terrorism? On January sixth, so like why would you none, use that word? You're playing into the other side's characterization that, as Joe Kent just explained, allows them to define an entire population as foreign combatants, and you know that. So why'd you do it? So, so Tucker, let me answer you directly. The the reason I use that word for a decade, 
I have referred to people who violently assault police officers as terrorists. I've done so over and over and over again. If you look at all the assaults we've seen across the country, I've called that terrorism over and over again. All right, I'm going to pause it there because I'm a little short on time here. Uh, Tucker stayed on Ted Cruz about his choice of words there, and Ted Cruz literally said, I did it wrong. I made the wrong word choices, and it's because I have always referred to people who attack police as terrorists. Um. I have asked, I went online last night and asked people what they think, whether or not they buy Ted Cruz's response and how they react to this. And I'm going to give you mine just real quick before the bottom of the hour. I think he made a terrible choice of words, but I understand why he made it. Because I, too, have referred to as rioters who attack cops as terrorists. We watched BLM and Antifa rally, riot, and, and destroy and attack for months on end in 2020. They called it the summer of racial reckoning, and police officers were attacked with bricks, with bats, with bottles, with frozen water bottles, with urine bombs, with uh, industrial-grade uh, uh, fireworks fired not into the air but at them, with high-powered lasers shining into their eyes, blinding them, causing vision problems. And I said those people were domestic terrorists. So I can understand why Ted Cruz made that error. But it was an error. And, and as I was just telling a friend of mine, if you're all pro quarterback throws an interception, you don't cut him. You go over the coverage, you figure out what went wrong, why was that done, why was that error, why did it happen, and then you go back out and continue to dominate the opponent and win games. Ted Cruz is an all pro quarterback. He threw an interception. It was a mistake. Let him fix it and let him continue to win games for us. That's what he does. That's who he is. He is a champion, and I want him in my foxhole every single time. Did he screw up here? Darn right. Did he go on Tucker to try to make it right? Absolutely. Should we continue to have our all-pro quarterback on our roster? You better believe it. Christina Hagen joins us next. upside down and the majority turns to the left turn to the right always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer here we have a president who is basically dividing the country worried about the previous president uh and yet we have so many other issues i mean everything from the border you know covid he was going to be the covid president he was going to fix COVID, which we all know he couldn't. He's just dividing the country. And I hate to say this, Bob, I read something uh, two days ago that said, everybody thinks we're going to go into a civil war. We probably are in the civil war right now. And it's starting. And it starts with the president who continues to divide. That was Jim Renacci, who uh, joined me in hour number one, talking, uh, among other things, about yesterday's January 6th presentation of uh, political theater. Kabuki Theater, if you will, by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris actually declared that January 6th 
was equivalent to Pearl Harbor and 9-11. She and Joe Biden have both compared it to the Civil War. We're talking thousands upon thousands of deaths. The only death that happened on January 6th was a Trump supporter, an unarmed woman, not resisting arrest, not attacking, not assaulting, not swinging, not fleeing, just coming through a door, was shot and executed. And that was the only death on January 6th. So what they did yesterday was embarrassing, and I think Jim Renacci's right. It was extraordinarily divisive, and it was divisive for a reason. The goal here for them, I think, you know, yeah, they talked about yesterday being a dark day. I think yesterday was a holiday for the left. They have been looking forward to the first anniversary of the January 6th Capitol breach, what they call an insurrection and an attack on democracy. They have been looking forward to that so that they can paint Trump, Trump supporters, and by extension, the Republican Party as being a bunch of radical domestic terrorist extremists. Therefore, perhaps trying to stem the tide, the huge red tsunami that is coming 11 months from now as we take back uh, leadership in this country. Joining us now to discuss that and much more is former Ohio State Representative Christina Hagan. Our first time to talk to Christina in the new calendar year, so I can still say on the seventh morning of this month, Happy New Year, Christina Hagan. Happy New Year, Bob. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Let's start there, Christina Hagan. Um, you watched it play out yesterday. I don't know how much of the um, Biden speech that you watched. Uh, I, I know I couldn't stomach it, uh, but I read enough of the comments and I've heard enough of the short clips to be simply disgusted and embarrassed for my country because this is the man in charge of it. What was your reaction? Um, this is a man who said he was going to stand in the breach for us, and he can barely stand holding a podium with a speech that was written for him Um holding himself up. I mean, the guy is weakened at Bernie's. We continue to say that. We always wonder who's holding Nancy Pelosi up, but we know that Pelosi and Harris are both holding him up. Um, So to believe that he's going to do something, if anything, for us to stand in the breach is uh, humiliating and hilarious. Uh, But I just, I continue to think about um, the true tragedies that have transpired over the last year and induced by their party, yet um, the way they mask and Are they masquerade around pretending that January 6th is something to be remembered for a lifetime, that we are also permanently scarred by the, um, I think the most dramatic word that we can use accurately would be a riot, but not even because um, there were really um, nothing was defamed, nothing was attacked to any degree. We could talk about the riots that transpired um, through the entire summer. Um, attacking American cities, burning down federal buildings, burning down um, police stations, uh, ruining people's livelihoods, their businesses, killing people, dozens of people being um, killed in the midst of and aftermath of these attacks. And yet we're supposed to remember to the degree of Pearl Harbor, um, January 6th. I mean, they can't let it go. He's got this screenplay that he's written called The Darkest Day and an entire media ensemble repeating verbatim the terminology that they, the Democrat Party, um, and their wingmen in the mainstream media, you know, darkest day, darkest day, darkest day. Um, Yet the reality is anything that's dark that's been deployed is from them, delivered from them. Um, I mean, they're bailing, they were bailing criminals out. And now they're still talking and trying to create an issue of January 6th. It's disgusting, but not shocking. 
Um, and here we are listening to these people collude with the media once more. Just to kind of follow up on that, Christina, um, you know, I'm glad you, you said that part about the um, uh, about uh, the comparison to Pearl Harbor and so forth. There's a day that will live in infamy, something we'll always remember, and so on and so forth. There's a, a tweet that I want to share from uh, uh, just a conservative person that I'm friends with who said this, remember back to 2017 when over 200-plus folks were arrested for violence in Washington, D.C. during Trump's inauguration? No? Memory hold. Congressional baseball attack? Memory hold. Black man driving a car through a white crowd in Waukesha, Wisconsin on Christmas? Memory hold. Anytime there's a perpetrator on the left, it gets memory hold. Anytime there's a perpetrator on the right, then it becomes a signal moment for the left and for the mainstream media. Just look at what they did with January 6th today. And I think that so underscores the point that you just made. Because it's so true. On the day of Donald Trump's inauguration, January 20th, 2017, over 215 people were arrested for their, for their violent, riotous assaults and attacks on building and on police, on people, as they protested what, what, you know, they now call Donald Trump questioning the results of the election the big lie. They did this because the Democrats continued to say Donald Trump wasn't fairly elected, that the Russians colluded to help him steal the election from Hillary Clinton. But all the difference is all of those people had their charges dropped. Uh, Christina Hagan, they had their charges dropped exactly. while, but while the, the, the January 6th crowd that did smash windows and did break through doors and many of them stole things while inside, uh, the Capitol, these people are being held without trial and without bail in, uh, some of them in, in, uh, in isolation for a calendar year. And, and I think that's, that's the difference here. One of these types of things gets memory, you know, everybody wants to uh, commemorate and, 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 you know, use as a, as a divisive moment. But all of these attacks on conservatives, on Republicans committed by leftist perpetrators, they are buried as quickly as they can be. And the rest should be remembered for all of our lives, regardless of how insignificant it is, regardless of the real financial security attack we're all um, experiencing through the mass inflation, regardless of our lack of security through our southern border, our national security with mass immigration, um, all of the dark days that have been created by this um, headwind of horrific policy being enacted, um, our rights being stripped away, truly our democracy being undermined, you know, the, the oligarchy and uh, the interactions with uh, social media suppressing our rights, our views, suppressing medical science. And we're supposed to be concerned about something that happened a year ago that didn't cost a single life except for the life that was taken by security there on site that day. We're supposed to remember that um, as if we haven't been alive during this administration. I, it's, it's unbelievable that they're trying to relive it. And I think the scariest part is we see um, through the perpetuation of their lives and their talking points, if they've um, parroted these things enough, eventually conservatives and Republicans start repeating them because they think it's what people want to hear, even though polling indicates that people don't give a crap about this because they're being inflicted by so many other damaging things from this yeah. administration. Yeah, we hear people like Ted Cruz, who are also calling it a day where there were terroristic threats deployed. I mean, I can barely believe that somebody that I admire and respect so much would use such terminology to define that day and so it's just 
sometimes we wake up in this bizarro land that is our country, um, and we're told what to be concerned about and what to fear, when all we really have to do is look at our personal bank account and look out our window, go to the store, and we know that um, they're crashing our economy well, in front why, of our eyes. That's why he did it. That, that's why that speech yesterday was given. Uh, President Trump said that in his response. He issued a statement in response saying, all Joe Biden did today was attack me in order to deflect away from what you just said. People's bank accounts, their tax rates, their inflation, uh, the, the lack of uh, supplies at their stores, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the southern border, all of the issues that this country is facing right now, he was able to cast aside for a day and say Trump was evil, Trump caused this insurrection, this attack on democracy. Right. Um, Pearl Harbor, Civil War, you name it. I'm just yeah, going to pull anything out of my hat. Anything Crazy. they can do, yeah. Uh, and, last thing on 9-11. Oh, I apologize. No, that's okay. Go ahead. That's okay. Last, last thing on January 6th. Um, I said this in my introduction before you came on. Um, the goal here is to try to create public support for the Democrats' voting rights legislation to federalize the elections. They continue to call what happened on January 6th an attack on democracy because they didn't like the outcome of the election. So now what they have done, this is their, their, their narrative. So now what they've done, since they didn't like the outcome of the election, is they had a whole bunch of Republican states suppress the vote of minorities and change the votes uh, to suppress more and more or change the rules rather to suppress more people. They can't win elections on their own side. They had to change the rules. And because these evil people who's, who, who, you know, engaged in this assault on the government, assault on democracy, because they're the ones making the rules now in these various states, we have to take that out of their hands. We must pass the Federal Voting Rights Act so that the federal government will, will oversee all elections. This is their next huge hope since Build Back Better failed, passing this is the only possible way that they can avoid that red tsunami that's coming in November. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. They are always, always aiming to undermine, and every word that comes out of their mouth is orchestrated for that intentional destruction. It's crazy. It is. It is. It is. Um... But it's par for the course. It's it's right in their playbook. Okay. Um, exactly. Christina, I, I wanted to ask you also about uh, the big issue of the day. Uh, the Supreme Court is hearing, and I don't know, maybe they're underway right now, probably are, but they're hearing today the, the uh, challenge to Biden's OSHA mandates, the mandate that requires all employers with 100 or more employees to make sure their entire employee staff is vaccinated. We're talking about 80 to 100 million workers um, who are being told you either get the jab or you lose your job. So it's being argued in front of the Supreme Court today. I would like to think that six originalists on the court against three radical uh, legislators dressed in judicial robes should be a no-brainer. The mandate should be crushed by the Supreme Court. However, I have been disappointed by some members of this conservative majority court already. So what are you what are you expecting? Um, I mean, my my goal is that they do the right thing, right, that they are utilizing the Constitution and not legislating from the bench. Um, we've seen things all over the place, but I believe um, that this gives them an opportunity to highlight their desire to limit the authority of federal agencies, which they have historically done. Um, I pray that they will keep in line with that, um, and then that will be how this case is determined. But that's really my goal and my vision and my desire. Uh, we don't know until we know. So I, I'm very hopeful that Thomas Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett will do the right thing here based off of 
their historical um, perspectives on the interest of limiting federal authority, but we don't know. We don't know until we know. You just listed every Republican appointee on the court except for Roberts. Was that by neglect or intent? Um, you know, I've, I've, I don't know if this is an internal um, feeling, but I have not felt trust for Roberts for some Neither have time. I. So Neither have I. We'll That's the reason I asked. We'll, yeah, I don't trust yeah, him. We'll see. I mean, I just I have not seen him as um, faithful so much to the Constitution as much as public opinion and the way things are going. Um, it seems as though he is more concerned about um, being in favor of a sitting president rather than uh, what the law actually reads. That's an interesting observation. I've been trying to find out where his head is when he makes some of the decisions he does because he has sided with the liberals on a number of cases where I just was just flabbergasted. I had Blown no away. idea where he was coming from uh, in doing so. And you're saying you think it, that his it's his, his predisposition to try to err on the side of the, the sitting president's view? Well, I think that through time, we've always hoped you do the right thing um, and uphold the Constitution, but we've not been able to count on him in doing that. And I mean, through the heartbeat bill alone, he was always, you know, our hope, and we, we hoped he would do the right thing. And then, you know, with time, realized that we could not count on that, um, and much less favorably that he would be in our side in the trenches for us. So I, you know, I'm hopeful... Um, but also there's this degree of reality that plays into what's going to happen here in the near future. Yeah, and I think I feel the exact same way. I'm hopeful, but I'm not counting anything here uh, because I've been let down by some of the decisions made, not only by Roberts, but some of the other members that you just named, even including Trump supporters in recent decisions. I'm wondering, Kevin oh, did what? You know, Gorsuch did what? I mean, it's just, some of it is just you know, very head-scratching, so uh, I'm not going to count on anything until uh, we actually hear the decisions. Um, Christina Hagan, former Ohio State representative, terrific uh, start to the new year. Thank you so much for the wonderful analysis, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Bob. And you as well. 1052, final segment of Always Right is coming up, AM 1420. All right. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Bob. And you as well. 1052, final segment of Always Right is coming up, AM 1420. Mad. This is blasphemy. This is madness. You need something different. This is always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. <laughs> That's awesome. Sorry. I don't usually comment on the uh, political political ads that are running on uh, particularly in the Senate race, but Mark Piquita just ended his spot with Let's Go Brandon. I had my show with Let's Go Brandon. Mark Piquita ended his campaign ad with it. That was awesome. That was awesome. That's not an endorsement of Mark Piquita's campaign. I'm just telling you, that was pretty fun. Um, let's go to a few phone calls. Uh, we're going to go to Lakewood. Charlie, is this the politically incorrect mechanic, my friend? Morning, Bob. How are you? It is indeed. Good morning, Charlie. I'm good. What's up? Good. Okay, so about Ted Cruz. Yes, uh, and I'm I'm probably going to get yelled at for this one. Uh I agree with what you're saying because I, too, have referred to, rightfully, Antifa and BLM as domestic terrorists when they attack police officers and burn businesses down and burn police cars and federal buildings. Yeah, I've got hours, of tape, of, I've got hours of tape well, of me saying that. These are domestic terrorists, right. especially with all the Absolutely. things that they've done to the cops. Absolutely. Yeah. 
where I, I don't want to say disagree. Let's say step outside and try to try to view this from an outside perspective. I don't ever recall Antifa and BLM functioning as a completely docile crowd and then having flashbangs and pepper balls launched at them while they were a docile crowd. Um, you, you have to explain that a little further, Charlie. I'm not sure I quite follow what you're saying. Well, I plenty. there's been plenty of reports of people who were down there on January 6th right. of last year right. who said they were in there to cry as a crowd outside on the, on the side of the Capitol, not doing anything, and police officers started launching flashbangs and shooting them with pepper balls unprovoked. Okay. Um, I, I don't know that. Um, I do know this, especially if, if you watched the movie at Capital uh, uh, Punishment by Nick Searcy. I still, no, I still have. I've been getting home Capital, and falling asleep. That's all right. That's all right. Capital Punishment, the movie. It's a documentary by Nick Searcy, and it shows everything that happened on the ground. It was terrific. Uh, really, really eye-opening. And it points out the obvious. There was one side of the Capitol building where it was completely peaceful, and yet people were still entering because they was wide open. Right. So two, two of the individuals there talked about how they were told they could go in, and they looked and said, no way. They saw it as a trap. And it kind of was. Um, but that side was peaceful. The other side is where the smashing happened, where Ashley Babbitt was shot and so forth. If they shot those crowd disbursement uh, uh, tools into those crowds to disperse them because it was violent there, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with flashbangs or anything else because, again, that's what I called to be used in the BLM riots all over the place. If they fired them on the other side where you're talking about where it was peaceful, that's wrong. I still would say this to you, my friend, and i got to go because I'm up against it. I would still say this to you. On the violent side, if they were attacking cops, hitting them with objects, it was the same as BLM doing it, and that is terroristic activity. Thanks, my friend. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.